Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. Today's guest is Brittany West. Brittany comes to us from an extensive corporate background, beginning her career at Sintas Corporation, where she held both a contributor and leadership role in marketing, sales, and service. After working and leading there for 15 years, God ordained a new season in her life, which would send her into a journey of faith and trust. Presently, she works as the marketing and exports lead for The Grove and Flourish. With her creative ability and discernment, Brittany has been uniquely gifted to enter environments and have immediate impact. Her understanding and seeing how things work helps to offer opportunities to enhance leadership, promote growth, and foster effective systems of continuity. With her deep love of connecting with people over God's Word, this helps her share grace and truth to people wanting to walk with God practically each day. Brittany is the wife of Kenny West and mother of two beautiful daughters, and she currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia, where she attends, serves, and leads at Passion City Church. Well, I'm so happy to have my friend Brittany here with us on Race and Redemption. Brittany and I have known each other for years through Passion, which is the church where we both attend and have done lots of ministries and dinners and all kinds of stuff together. So I'm so thankful you joined us and our listeners are going to get to hear from the depth of biblical wisdom that you are, Miss West. Oh my gosh, that's that's just too much. That's too much and setting it too high. I'm grateful to be here with you all and just excited about a conversation around race and redemption. Well, when you and I talk about this, the Bible's always at the forefront. And I know that one of the pieces of scripture that you always like to go back to is Galatians 3. So I thought maybe I'd start out our time together by reading that mm-hmm. and let that yeah. kind of be the beginning of our conversation. So Galatians three twenty three says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For in you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Maybe start by telling us, Brittany, what does this verse mean to you when you hear it? What does that mean? So I think what we need to understand from this particular passage is that Paul was addressing a church that he had been at like very early. And so he was revisiting them in this letter. And the reason being was because they had allowed false teachers to come in and to convince them that, well, maybe we need a little twinge of the law. Maybe that is a piece of it that's contingent on salvation. And I think the beauty of what Paul does is he goes, let me remind you that there is no gap in the kingdom, right? So there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, and there's neither male nor female. So he's addressing socioeconomic status, gender, cultural background. And he's saying all of that by the blood of Christ has brought us unto a sonship of adoption 
And by that salvation, we are all children of God's seed of Abraham, which would have been like, right? (laughs) Because you've just now said Gentiles, uh, even included women at some level, and then those who are slaves or in bondage. Now they're all a part of this freedom that God has already instituted strategically and specifically just for Jews. And so I think when he says this, what he's helping them to recognize on a heavy contrast is that none of that matters, right? Not that it doesn't matter on a foundational level. He's just saying like, when we're up here, this whole piece, we don't need to mixture and incorporate all these different things because we have a new identity, a new kingdom authority. And under that is one name. And just kind of directing them back to that to me is always an obvious placement of unity and a clarity around what that unity can mean for the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think bringing in that cultural context is so important because yeah, this would to. have been mind-blowing yeah. right. for these people to hear. I mean, we think about the the when we start talking about race or gender or things like that, that people can say things and, and how offensive and uncomfortable it may make us mm. feel. But I mean, this was... He like, just offended everyone right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he literally, and I think this is the beauty of Paul is his ability to effectively communicate to kind of help people understand, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on what we're here to talk about. We're talking about being children of God. I don't know for any of you who are listening or if you're in your text with us right now, it says children of God in that section. And so it's just a matter of recognizing, okay, that there's great purpose in that level of diversity and being children of God. And then that he lists all those different options I think gives us this beautiful picture of the fact that one, that's not by happenstance. And then on the other side, that all of it comes under one authority. Mm, Okay. So are you saying that there is value in our earthly uniqueness and our kingdom identity? Well, I think you always want to let the text interpret the text, right? So if you go to even a Psalm, what, what you're suggesting out of a psalm. Let me make sure I got it here. Psalm 139, right? And I think when I start reading it, many will be familiar, but I'll I'll start at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then he just admonishes. He goes, Father, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them, right? And so he goes on, and you know how David is. David is very, very feely, right? But what we're saying here is that the reason that I think a Paul can even make a statement like that is because he recognizes that in the ingenuity of a holy, eternal, infinite God, he thought it important when in someone, when someone was in their mother's womb to fearfully and wonderfully make them, but that then they come out looking different. And not just because we all individually look different, but that there would be groups that represented and looked like different things. And so for us to suggest that that identity is not important or necessary is then to almost kind of go, well, Father, how how important was it that you decided to make a difference? It's like, is that the, is that the accident? Was that the happenstance? Mm. Or was that intentional? As all things we know in him are. 
So it's just a matter of really understanding like, you know, that has a purpose. We, we may not understand that full well, but if it says here, literally, that all of that is intentional and that you've ordained for me, what you've ordained for me is written in your book before one of them happens, one of them mm-hmm. comes into fruition, then me being a Black woman and you all being white women, very much intentional in the story and the purpose of God over our lives. Mm-hmm. And also reflecting the image of God. Right. Like what a mystery that everyone, yes, we're all children of God, but it also says we're all made in his image, you mm-hmm. know, that we're reflecting attributes of him. So I was thinking about that the other day and thinking male and female are reflecting mm-hmm. attributes, you yeah. know, all ethnicities. Yeah, yeah. And so how just, how does that even work out in who God is? But yet mm-hmm. we know that it's true. It's just another one of the mysteries of what it means to worship a God that is beyond our human comprehension. It's humbling and it puts you in a state of going, okay. You know what I mean? Like just literally like, all right. Yeah. We accept there, it. <laughs> there's a, that you can, and you can receive it. And, and all that we do going back to being children of God, all that we do is by faith, mm. right? We sit here and record this podcast by faith, by faith that all of us will be around to hear it when it airs. And we're, we're walking in our day to day by faith. We've made plans, right? But we know that it is the Father who establishes those plans. And so we are trusting at every step, at every turn, when we uh, parent our children, when we love our spouses, when we go to work, when we put our hands to anything, we're trusting the best of it. And so I think there's a bigger picture of that. And there's like a more practical picture of that, that helps you see the bigger picture in that if you take something as vast as multi-ethnic world societies, placements, churches, wherever, uh, work environments, there is great purpose in that. And all we have to do in faith is that's the Holy Spirit in us that dwells in each of us if we believe. What would you have me to know or do about that with this right now, with the portion of the vision you've given me? Because you've only give, you've given me a piece of the final thing. So how might I steward the piece of the final thing for the whole? Mm-hmm. I love you're making it very specific to the unique planting of where we right. are. This like, time, this yeah. moment, mm-hmm. yeah, this place. I just think uh, all of that is, because if, if we're honest, I think we think we have a bit more say in it than we do. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, because our odds are under the grace of God, you and I and, and Brooke, we will continue to live long days, mm-hmm. but that is not a promise. That is not a guarantee. And I'm not saying that to be morbid or to be scary. I think it just brings you under a humility of freedom to be where you are right now. Mm-hmm. To literally steward what you have right now. And that all goes back into okay, I am a black woman in the spaces that I'm in. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right? How does that look? Same for you all. Like, even your heart and your desire to do something like this for a group of people who want to know more and learn more, or just kind of want to be around people doing the same thing, co-laboring with people doing the same thing. It's just a matter of that's where you are right now. For instance, if we had recorded this podcast, one, it wouldn't have even been a method or mode to do that about 30, 40, 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? This wouldn't, this conversation wouldn't have even happened. And so if you cannot, if you cannot hallmark God's faithfulness mm-hmm. and the ways that he is threading something together in his timing, I, I think you miss a lot of what has already happened. And then you don't allow the Holy Spirit to kind of strangely and kind of uncomfortably lead you in how you're helping continue 
what has already been done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like jumping right into the river right yeah. now with the yeah. things that you have and the way that you can steward it today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of journey to go to get to what God envisions as our flourishing kingdom, right, on earth. But yet how much, you know, recognizing how much progress has been made is mm-hmm. also- We have covered, we've covered ground. The, this yeah. particular conversation being one. Right. Mm. So, That's amazing. Yeah. And, you just, and it, yes, Lord, right? Like, because you just <laughs> yeah. have to remember. I mean, y'all, I come from uh, two parents, grew up in the Deep South, and they, my mother was a part of the first integrated high school in Memphis, Tennessee. The first, my mother. Wow. Right. And I'll be That's 36. Close. I'll be 36 in 2023. So I'm 35 now, but I, this year I'll turn 36. So I'm born in 87. And my mother who had me around her, her thirties is still alive, kicking, doing great. First integrated high school in Memphis, Tennessee. My, her aunt, which would be my great aunt who passed in 2021, I believe, picked cotton until she was 16. Oh my goodness. These are my living relatives, right? right, right, Well, she's passed, but I used to talk to her. Like, and so we, when we think about what God has done now, put it on me, I'm raising two children. They, they don't, Myself, my lifestyle, never drank from a colored water fountain, never had segregation, right? Always was able to ebb and flow. Were there ways to navigate that? Yes. Are there ways to navigate that for my children now, even as it's continuing to evolve? Yes. But do you, like, we are moving towards God's intended plans. Mm -hmm. And it's the unsettling piece for us when it's like, just finish the work. And he's like, yes, it has in my time. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And the scriptures talk about like these things take generations. Sins that are at the communal societal level take generations mm-hmm. to undo, right? And we had generations to get here. So that's going to take a long time to undo. Mm-hmm. And Lord, you know, we pray that it comes sooner and faster yeah. and that you bring your, your kingdom come here sooner. But also, I don't have that expectation that it's going to like, okay, let's just legislate our way through it, right? That's not how this is going to mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because my husband and I have heard this black teacher say, and it's kind of, it's funny, but it's not funny. We're a lot more colorful too, in a lot of expression, but he said, you know, racism is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Mm. Right. And what we're talking about is to the point that you just made, we have a whole old Testament of ways that people just wandered. Mm-hmm. Right. But in his timing, he redeemed. Right. And so I just think if you can watch anything and you don't want to box him in because he's the God of supernatural ability, resource and authority. But if you can watch, you can see the thread that he weaves in that he likes to help us slow down to see something being painted and put together. I think he does that for our benefit. He, he could make things easier immediately. And we know that. And we call on heaven to do that. But there's a, there is a maturing and a turning in us that continues to happen as we have to continue to rely and wrestle on recognizing we can do nothing without him. Absolutely nothing. Well, and talking about this unfolding and, and then looking back at Galatians 3, I know that there are some people that come at the solution is like they're reading, you're neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. 
And they think the solution towards bringing the answer is colorblindness, mm-hmm. you know, and er- talking about it or an eradication of our differences. Mm-hmm. And just, we're all just the same. Mm-hmm. We're all just the same. And what's your response to that? Yeah, I think that that is that is going to be for each person. I'll start with at this point, that'll be for each person to work out unto themselves, because I think if you dig past that, you're going to ask yourself, I think you can come from two angles on it. And the first one would be, I just want to be as empathetic as I can to help people. If you are a minority, uh, to help the majority feel comfortable, like it's okay. Like there's no, don't worry about color. So if you're a minority speaking to a majority, it's okay. Don't worry about color. Um, and that can be in any situation. If you all injected yourselves into all black environments, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? There could be an empathy on you. Like, no, 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 no. Like don't, you don't have to highlight me because of my color. Right. Mm-hmm. Or on the flip side for the majority looking down, going like, I'm so sorry that you're the only one here, but it's good. Cause I, I don't even like, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not something I see. I don't see color when I look at you. I don't see that. Like I, I see you, like I know who you are. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece. And then the other side is an actual discomfort and fear to address what it is you don't understand or know. Mm. And I think the prayer I know for you too is that this podcast is helping people to do that, not to run from the gap, but lean into the gap. So it's, we're either talking about an empathy or a fear, I think, Mm. when somebody uses that language at a root level. Because up here, sometimes it's meant by mal or poor intent, but like if you start digging down and that person started unpacking like, well... Mm. And you might get a statement of thought like this once you finally would. I just don't want them to feel bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's that's a deep empathy that you're not trusting God with. And so what I would say in a matter of going, I don't see color, you'd have to go back to, to David's statement, right? Like if you're fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And you were knitted in, like in the secret place, which is so interesting just for our listeners that's conception, right? Mm-hmm. We're knitted in the time of conception. Mm-hmm. There's already a lot at play there. Depending on what two individuals come together to knit and create you, mm. right? They're making themselves willing vessels to create whatever it is that God wants to release in the earth. Every soul, I believe, is a purpose and a destiny needing to be released. And so like you're releasing that into the earth real time. For example, if you took a white male and a black woman and they are in the secret place, they are opening themselves up to create what needs to come into the earth. Now, what comes into the earth comes as a cultural blend, right? Mm-hmm. Or for my instance, right? I'm a black woman. My father's black. My mother's black. In the secret place, they knitted me together. And when I came out, this is the glory of that worship, of that mm-hmm. holy time. Mm-hmm. And so for you to look at it and go, well, I don't look at the outward part. I just look inside. Like I don't, I, that part is, we don't, that part's, you know, it's okay. Like don't, don't worry about that. It's like what you've, you've disregarded that that's where the father started and then worked his way inside, mm-hmm. right? Like if we are in Mago Day, he took time with every feature, with every likeness that I have from my mother and father, with the fact that I am black, like none of that is by happenstance. And so I think what you want to do when you read a passage like that is kind of go back to more of an uh, an emotional kind of field response from David that just cries out and goes, for you created me, created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, right? And the science behind that is depending on what comes together to knit you, that's what you come out as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a, a replica of those pieces. And so there's no need for us in fear or in empathy 
to negate what God did in a holy, sacred place of worship when two people came together to create the soul that he wanted to release in the earth. Now, we're obviously making a strong assumption that every time somebody comes together, it's it's husband and wife and it's an act of worship. But what I'm saying is, is that nothing is lost in God. He's also not surprised that two people may be engaging beyond their limits of boundary, right? Mm -hmm. And that soul is still important. So he still takes his time to create in the inmost being. And so I just think if you keep that at play at a very high level, it, it becomes very hard not to go... No, all of that representation is needed or we'd all be born white male, right? Right. Or we'd all be born black male or black female or, you know, Indian male. Like it it would matter what we were, we'd be Mm -hmm. born that way. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So given that you described people maybe coming from different cultural backgrounds coming together, that's one thing in relationship. What does that look like in the church? So how do we navigate that as the church, as one body? but knowing that we are each made with those intentional differences. Yeah, I think this is where it always gets very hairy. And this is where people have to just be mindful of a couple of different things. And this could just be my my background from having been in, in corporate America for an extensive amount of time, that your marketplace should reflect what you draw. So from a perspective of if I'm a business owner, in the heart of Atlanta, uh, I, I should have a staff ultimately that then reflects what the patrons would be, right? Mm-hmm. Or I should have an environment that can cater to multiple places. Now, this is where it starts to get testy because I think where people will make an argument is in, well, the church has a specific culture. Okay, check. We do know that. We've already established that we're children of God. The secondary would be a senior pastor is going to establish a very specific culture. And I would agree with that. And I think that's necessary because out of that person or couple's vision was birthed what God called them to do, Mm -hmm. the people he called them to reach. And so they've got to be honoring and true to that. Mm -hmm. But when that person goes into that marketplace to do that, you one would think that they've considered the people that are in that surrounding area. If I'm a senior pastor in Idaho in a back corner, I know who my my population is in, in that part of rural wherever. And I'm not expecting a sense or a level of diversity from a from an outward perspective because I've got what I got. Yep. If I again, if I'm in Atlanta, if I'm in New York, Miami, LA, now all of a sudden my expectation on what comes in should start to look like at least what's outside at minimum. And if you feel like there's a gap between that, I think the first thing you really need to do is ask yourself, okay, if there's a gap in that, Father, show me and help me to understand. And then practically, you'll want to do things that would help attract or bring in that type of individual which kind of goes into that whole thought of, well, then do you quota people? And is it like X amount of people need to be on stage every Sunday? And I would argue, I think if you feel like that is your best practical first step, it's not wrong. I mean, what you are now doing is, okay, I need to get these people in place, Mm -hmm. right? And getting those people in place means I need to go find them and I need to bring them in and I need to, to release them. The secondary thing, though, is helping those individuals who come in. You want to ensure that 
part of their cultural identification create some level of diversity of thought. And I think that's where we get stuck. The -hmm. conversation gets bottlenecked at, well, I don't want to be that pastor bringing in my six whatevers, my five whatevers, and my four whatevers, you know what I mean? As as a part of a racial quota. Mm -hmm. I want to, like, I want to feel like that person is a part of us and can feel comfortable. But then yet, and still, you still swim in the same pools or the same networks that only allow you to see one type of person. And so if you want to crack that mold open, you've got to put yourself in an environment where there would be more of what you're looking for. And that is an intentional decision. Behind that, the heart and faith decision is to release that person to operate in a level of authority to make an influence at the table where decisions are made. Mm-hmm. So you bring them in and you suppress them from their voice I mean, then they're just there and they are a quota and they feel like a quota Mm -hmm. and they behave like a quota. And that's the sort of situation where I wonder, like, is is that doing more harm than good? If we're forcing the diversity, but not really understanding and allowing the fullness of it. Yes, exactly. Not yeah, Not understanding like they need to be a part. That means we are integrally a part of everything. I think that's what we need to recommend here. And if that's what you hear and that's the takeaway is that both need to be in play. I mean, you'd have to have somebody that looks different in front of you to get started, but then their influence and voice in whatever it is that you're doing or building together if it is not heard or received, and then even, listen, properly led, because there's going to be a culture of whatever environment y'all are working under, and that person needs to be okay with that culture. Mm-hmm. Like when they sign up, I got to be good with what my leadership and my headship is saying. That's biblical. But then bringing who I am mm-hmm. and offering something and you not suppressing it or shutting it down just because it's like... Uh, it's different or you haven't heard that before. We don't do that here. Yeah. Like, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that would land. I don't know if that would land here. Those are the expressions mm-hmm. you hear. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't... Okay, well, we'll have to like try to figure out the best place to put that. And it's like, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to just like offering it. Yeah. And, and again, it is a give and take. And this is why relational equity is so important because you'll want to be able to have open and honest conversations where you go, all right, so-and-so, I want to do that, but I, I don't understand how it's going to help me understand how it's going to fit. And then that person can speak back to you and go, well, okay, maybe the big idea I had could be a bit much all in on the front end. Mm-hmm. Let's do it like this. Let's like integrate it. Let's make it feel like us, but show that punch of expression that will help attract other people that you want to be in the room. But see, all of that has to be a heart posture because if your heart in it is, I want to get better, I want to do better with this, it'll feel less like, oh, I don't know what to do. We just please teach me. Mm-hmm. And it will be like, let's collaborate on how mm-hmm. we can fuse this thing together. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear, you'll hear a good level of positioning from both sides when something is really running in a good space. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, you do have to, you gotta, if, if they're not represented physically, then that's the first thing. But secondarily, it must be a diversity of thought as well, because mm-hmm. if there's no diversity of thought in that culture, your quotas won't last. Yeah. They'll go. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that you're saying representation and diversity are more than just seeing a person on stage or a photo on the website or yes. the person that's at the door greeting you. You know, I mean, I think we've heard from so many people that we've had the opportunity to interview talking about having to 
go into spaces that say they wanted diversity and then having to minimize parts of themselves, hide just maybe even the way they spoke or like to dress and, mm-hmm. and realizing people that may have worked with them in this church for years really don't even know them. Mm-hmm. really don't mm-hmm. even know them. And how anti-biblical is that? Like We are made to be known within the kingdom of God of each other that there's a safe place for that, but that diversity is also about thought and about perspective. And it, I get better by hearing from you, Brittany, in the way that you grew up, the way you see things. And, and mm-hmm. instead of you, when you say something I don't understand or maybe feels uncomfortable to me, to be able to go, huh, tell me more about that. Instead of rejecting being like, you know, you are valuable. Like everything you've said before, you are wise. You know the word. I'm going to, I want to learn. Like, tell me more, you know, and and not have that fearful reaction. Mm-hmm. Be leery too. You have quote, that quota piece and that diversity of thought. So that representation without voice, you could be filling the quota with people who culturally still really identify with you. And that is the beauty of where we have evolved to past where we were. Like we talked about earlier, there are, we'll just use it, the hard stoic example for us here. There are many blacks who may culturally identify more appropriately with white culture because of how they were raised, what they came up around, what they were exposed to, how their parents thought and believed. And so for them, it is just more natural to be in those environments. They'd feel like a minority amongst people who look just like them. Mm -hmm. And so I think the misnomer is always that, okay, well, I got what I need to fit what I'm trying to achieve from a from a diverse environment. And, and again, again, that's important. But a lot of that too is like, but does that individual have a have anything that kind of rubs you in a way that to your point, Susan, I'm learning. And if you don't feel that, I would argue that you you might not still even have a diverse environment, even if your staff room or your back rooms have different drops of different things. Mm-hmm. If there is no announcing of like, I think we could do it this way because when I see that, I see X, Y, and Z. If you don't hear any of that to be like, oh, well, we just really want to do the X, you know, we want to do the A, B, and C. So please, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't have that, I think there is, there can be a real issue in you thinking you've achieved something when you've really achieved nothing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the even greater setback. Mm-hmm. But, but to your point, I think what we have to trust because this can feel, and we pray just in Jesus' name, even right now, that a spirit of condemnation not rest on anyone. Mm-hmm. Because I think the idea is that when the Holy Spirit starts to expose things in your life and show you corners that you hadn't yet seen on any matter, in your marriage, the way you raise your kids, the way you talk to your kids, you know, the way you interact with your boss, the way you interact with a coworker, your heart or your thought life around a certain topic, there's a moment of like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh gosh. And I think what we have to do, like we would hopefully do even in those spaces is, is again, press towards, well, father, what are you, what are you trying to show me? And so if there is an awakening or an aha, we pray that even under the blood of Jesus Christ, that that not be a space for condemnation because he's removed that from us, but it would be the turning on to go, Hmm. And then that you'd allow in faith, the Holy spirit to continue to lead and guide you into the next steps. So it's like, well, Brittany, what is the next thing to do? What do I, where do I go from here? I think you go under the guideship of a holy God who has already written your days, as David said, who's already called you a child 
of his own and trusting that as I navigate that and as I try to make these next decisions, knowing that the Holy Spirit has exposed this piece of me that feels like I need to address it, trusting that each day I'm moving into sanctification to be more and more like Christ, Mm -hmm. I think you'll find that one day you'll look up and go, praise be to God for the things that he has done, right? Mm -hmm. Because of my surrender and my yes to just walk alongside him as he unfolded what needed to happen in my life, specifically even around a topic like this. Gosh, I'm just imagining in my head what that would look like and how beautiful, you know, the awakening, you know what I mean? Yes. Talk about revival. You know, there's these ideas of revival happening. Yes. And, you know, I heard someone that was saying, you know, it happened in a school, but when's it going to happen in our churches? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. To me, an awakening is this turning on, right? Mm-hmm. And a revival is is like literally resuscitating something that was dead. Mm-hmm. And so the difference in the two is you have to recognize where you sit in the spectrum of what God is doing in season. And for some places, it might need to be like a quickening. Like I speak, this kind of thing, I speak to these dry bones and mm-hmm. you know, live. Whereas for someone else, it could be, I am aware. I was asleep, but now I'm awake. Mm-hmm. And that awakening and that okay, can help activate you into what it is that might look like practical next steps because there'll be a hunger in you to go, God, show me more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, perhaps yeah. awakening, since the word woke has now been so radicalized and co-opted, I mean, awaken, oh, I'm awake. How about that? Awoken? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes, I'm up. That's the concept. Yeah. That's yeah. the concept, right? Yeah, I see. I'm aware. I'm awake. Yes. Yes. That's how God draws us back unto himself. Mm-hmm. Not that to suggest it even be like, but when we kind of start to, he has a way of just, it's, it's our willingness to turn and go back and go, here I come. I'm here. I come. I'm coming mm-hmm. here. I come. And I think it's a beauty in that. And that to me, while I mean, it's like, well, that's super spiritual. It is. But I do think because you are a child of God, it will always be super spiritual. It will always be more than you can explain or understand. It will always be an act before there's a confidence that what I did was actually accurate. It's a trusting and a notion in your heart and in your soul to go, I'm going where I think he is leading. And you'll know because it will align with this book. It'll align with this text, these scriptures, and you'll feel yourself working that out real time. And I guarantee you, if it's a lot of discomfort happening, you might be on the right track, right? (laughs) Well, I think that's a good point for our last question, which is white Christians, how can we be a part of this Galatians 3 vision? Like, what can we do to help that? How do we know we're on the right path? And, you know, mentioning one is that like when we feel challenged and and Mm -hmm. diversity of thought and and uncomfortable in scenarios, but not leaving. Uh, Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah. And I thought about this too. I think the only thing that I would say practically is begin to take inventory, right? Just begin to to take inventory of the life around you and the life you're leading. And if you see a gap, no matter where you are, if you're leading the local body or the global church, even for some, some, and, uh, or if you're leading a, a staff or a team at work, I mean, anywhere, your children's playmates, like if you are leading and stewarding anything, which we all are, no matter the scope, take inventory, take inventory of your life and understand from your perspective, from your children's perspective, are we surrounding ourselves with individuals 
that only, and start here if it's too much to get down to that bottom. Think like us. Like everything we do is carbon copied right around us, right? Kind of giving that Pleasantville vibe, right? Like, or <laughs> Stepford, you know what I mean? Stepford like that. Oh, yeah. Yes, just like that whole, like, mm-hmm. I would even argue for, let's just take it from as simple as this for a woman. If you're a stay at home mom, do you have any working mom friends? Mm-hmm. Like, just give yourself a different lens, whether you agree or disagree, just give yourself a different lens. And the more we're open to giving ourselves a different lens, I think the idea of diversity becomes less of a stronghold. Like mm. it becomes less of this mountain that can never be conquered. It's not even worth talking about. It's too big to climb. The fact mm. of the matter is, is if we started with the perspective that we have shaped and rooted in the word, not we're not leaving that. But if we took inventory of our lives alongside these scriptures, what's missing? What don't we see? Mm-hmm. Do you live in a in a massive metropolis or a major metropolitan area, but you seem to only be around a certain socioeconomic, racial, or even, I, I mean, you guys, let me know if I'm out of line, but do you know anybody that worships a different faith? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, are you interacting with anybody? Do you have an opportunity to share the gospel in, in, in different ways, exactly. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I, I just think if you can begin to take inventory of your life, in those different ways, understanding that America has a very dark history, specifically with white and black, right? Very dark history with white and black. If you can remove that for just a half a second to see past yourself, to see past what ails you about that, look at your inventory of life. And this is even for black listeners. Like if you're always around black people socially, what what about that helps you learn a different perspective mm-hmm. or have an empathy towards a different state or understanding. What I'm hopeful for is a day where people can kind of look at their lives and infuse them as the spirit leads. And he will do that if it is a desire of your heart. And if you're open to hearing him do such. So love that. Mm. I love the grace and hope that you speak from. Yes. Like really. And yes. your words just, they drip with honey. Mm. I think when you think about the scripture, it says that brand. You are an inspiration. Thank you for meeting with us and sharing this. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. We're just thankful for the way that you and Kenny love and lead. I appreciate y'all so much. It's an honor. And I was just like, man, y'all want me to talk? Like, you got good people who come on here who know you are all about people. these topics. <laughs> you great people. I'm just like, <laughs> these people on here, they're, they're wise. They do this work. They know. I'm just living. That's <laughs> thank you. And you're you living are doing well. this work. Well, thank you all so much. I appreciate it. It was an honor. Thank you for joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast. Make sure not to miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button on our page wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Race and Redemption so you can join the conversation today. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.